iteration is perfection. It's the iterative process that's perfect. It's not being perfect. It's the iterative process that's perfect. It's making micro iterations constantly, never endingly. That's what creates perfection. Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Okay, so today's talk is called Disruptive Innovation and How to Change the Game Fearlessly. And let's talk about that word fearlessness first, because you really can't disrupt anything in your life, anything in business, anything in the world, unless you get your body into the space of fearlessness. And so to me, fearlessness isn't the absence of fear. Fearlessness is taking action in the face of fear. And how do you do that? Like, what's the way to get into the space of fearlessness before you're about to jump off the bridge and get after something that might be uncomfortable for you, for the world, for society? I learned about this part of your body called the Dantian. I'd love to invite everyone to take their index finger, the middle finger, lift it up, yes, and put it right here, right below your belly button. And this is your Dantian. This is your power center. The Chinese scriptures talk about this area of your body where this is where everything began. This is where your authentic power lies. And when you think about when you were born, this is the umbilical cord that fed you. We weren't born thinking about fear. We were not fearful of anything. That's a learned behavior in a lot of ways. And so every time I'm about to step into something that is challenging, that's weird, that's going against society, I always take my two fingers and take three long deep breaths and tap into my dantians. I hope you guys do that too. Also, a thing that I, I really took to heart is that I figured out that from the point you graduate college to the point you die, we only have 21,000 days to live. That's it. That's it, 21,000 days. So what are we going to do with that time? Are we going to spend it whiling away just on our phones? Are we going to spend our time just talking shit about others? Are we going to spend that time really disrupting our lives, disrupting something in the world and getting in full authentic alignment within ourselves? Let's just get into it. So what is disruptive innovation? Disruptive innovation is simply an innovation that creates a new market which eventually overtakes an existing market. An innovation that creates a new market, which eventually overtakes an existing market. Let's give you some examples. The Model T car was a disruptive innovation. And how? Well, before there used to be the horse and buggy sort of category, right? So when cars existed only for the really, really wealthy people. So it couldn't become a disruptive innovation until the Model T came to be. And the Model T was affordable to the masses. Ford created this amazing looking car too. And because it was affordable to the masses and was functional and it totally disrupted the horse and buggy category. Let's keep going. The internet microprocessor disrupted the way information was being transmitted across the world. Credit card PayPal disrupted the way money was exchanged. Anesthesia, I'm bouncing from eras of generations, but anesthesia disrupted the way operations were had. I had three ACL reconstructions. I played soccer professionally for a couple of seasons. I played for 30 years. And without that important anesthesia, I probably wouldn't be doing this right now. I also had a C-section, like a C-section, like how do you do, how do you show a C-section without it being really scary? I mean, I actually witnessed my twin sister giving birth a couple of months and I was like the person behind the camera, like Nat Geo style filming the C-section. And when, 
like if you've actually seen what a C-section is, it's pretty unbelievable. And without that important anesthesia, that disruptive innovation, it would be a really, really hard thing to do. Let's fast forward to disrupting consumer products. In the consumer product space, companies like Tom Shoes and Warby Parker completely disrupted the idea of one for one and introduced the idea of a one for one model. You guys all have heard of that. And we'll talk about how we've sort of elevated the buy one, give one model into something a little bit more learned from the experience. Dollar Shave Club totally disrupted the subscription model. When you think about why did Unilever buy Dollar Shave Club for a billion dollars? They bought Dollar Shave Club for a billion dollars because what took Gillette a hundred years to do took Dollar Shave Club three from a customer acquisition perspective, from sort of a scaling exponentially in the same way that took Gillette a hundred years. And so they disrupted the subscription model. Now everybody, everything in their mother has a subscription model about something or other. Uber, Airbnb disrupted the way taxis and hotels you know, that industry. And when you think about these categories, specifically these, I think a lot about sort of the, the tax companies are lobbying, you know, their cities really hard or the hotels that are lobbying their cities hard to not bring these innovations in, to not have this happen. And whenever I think about that, I think about this statistic that 88% of Fortune 500 companies in 1955 are now gone because they did not iterate fast enough. And so people were trying really hard to like stay just that this is the way it is. When you think about blockbuster video, like yes, yeah, CDs like on, you know, mail order ain't gonna work, hashtag Netflix. Or you think about all these, my, my beloved Blackberry, God bless, God rest your soul. I was like, I just still can't do the thing anymore. My fingers are just not, I like the buttons anyway. You really need to iterate. You know, one of my favorite sayings that all my teams know is iteration is perfection. It's the iterative process that's perfect. It's not being perfect. It's the iterative process that's perfect. It's making micro iterations constantly, never endingly. That's what creates perfection. So while all these sort of companies are disrupting these other categories, I chose to focus my time and attention on the taboo space, namely, the business of peas. I actually discovered that all of my businesses start with the letter P. And when I figured this out, I was like, oh my God, who can I call? This is unbelievable. Like they all start with letter P. I think I'm like, it's my destiny. So pizza, periods, P and poop. What? Can you believe it? It's crazy. I couldn't believe it. And then of course the fifth P, which is parenting. And you know, to me, it's the hardest startup of them all, I gotta tell you, my little hero, Happy, that's his name, H-I-R-O, Japanese, I'm half Japanese. So let's go through them. So the pizza category, like why, like why was I interested in this category? Well, a quick backstory, I spent, after I graduated from Cornell University, I worked in investment banking for a couple of years, the analyst program, I, I worked at Deutsche Bank, I mean Deutsche Bank, and I uh, hope they're not a sponsor, <laughs> just kidding. And 9-11 happened, and my subway stop every single morning was to World Trade Center. Usually what I would do is get off the train at Two World Trade, get tea with my girlfriend who worked on the 100th floor at Aon at Two World Trade Center, and then walk across the street to my office. And 9-11 happened, and it was the craziest thing. 700 people in my girlfriend's office died that day. Two people in my office died on that day. And it was the only day in my life that I slept through my alarm clock. Never before, never after, to this day, have I ever slept through my alarm clock. And so it was a universe saying like, all right, 
you got to get after it. I realized that the mystery of life is that you never know when it's going to end. And the time was absolutely in that moment to make it count. And I was 22 years old. And I was like, all right, like, thank God I wasn't 32, 42, 52 before I had that wake up call. We all have these aha moments that sort of shake us awake to be like, I got to fulfill my destiny or it's going to be too late. The 21,000 days kicked in very, very quickly for me. And so I wrote down three things I want to do with my life. The first was to play soccer professionally. The second was to make movies. And the third was to start a business. And so I, play, I tried out for the New York Magic, made the team, had the ACLs, hung up my cleats. That was over. And then I worked in the film business. In the film business, I learned so much about sort of project management. And this was when I had my first aha moment for my first business. And it was born out of a stomach ache. And we all know the saying, necessity is the mother of invention. And I had realized that while on sets of commercials and music videos, I would eat off the craft service tables. Craft service tables are these little tables that offer free food. And my favorite price was free, hashtag immigrant. And I would just be eating all this like pigs in the blanket and all these crappy, like eminent, all just crappy food, but it was free. So I was like, I have student loans, like this is great. And I would just eat that. I would come home and just have awful stomach aches every single night. And especially when I ate pizza. I would just come home bloated, farty, gassy. I'm like, nobody come near me. This is bad. <laughs> and finally, I was like, enough is enough. And I went to Auntie Google and I was like, what's happening? And I discovered the massive processed food industry and discovered that there was pesticides and preservatives and antibiotics and hormones and all these things in food that was making people really intolerant to food today. And I discovered that 20% of Americans eat now eat gluten-free Everyone has a micro intolerance to major intolerances to gluten. And I was like, all right, here's an opportunity to create New York City's first alternative pizza concept, gluten-free flours, hormone-free cheeses, local seasonal toppings, and disrupt this $32 billion category. I don't know if you guys know that Americans eat 100 acres of pizza every single day. We love pizza. Got it. Hashtag opportunity. And so I created Slice, now called Wild, and we opened our first location in the Upper East Side of New York City, then opened the next one in the West Village, and then opened one in Williamsburg and Park Slope in this magical urban greenhouse, and I've since opened a couple in Guatemala, of all places. <laughs> we had a couple of groups who wanted to like, open up. They're like, sin gluten is going to be huge in Central America, and we're like, yes, pay me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> great, great. And uh, one of the things I learned working in the restaurant business very, very quickly. It wasn't that quickly, actually, because it took me seven years working the restaurants, getting like pizza oven burns. My, by the way, never worked in a restaurant day in my life before, never even cooked anything before I opened my restaurant. I'm like, how hard could this be? I would have like oven burns on my arms, like for seven straight years, I'd open the pizza oven like an amateur hour, would open my arm and I would just be like, ah, you know, it's one of those. And finally, I brought in seven years later, a partner an operator, a restaurateur, someone who knew what he was doing. And literally within one week of him taking over the restaurant operations, our numbers doubled after seven years, you guys. And then within one month, our numbers tripled. And I was like, but where do I put the gun? I'm like, where do I, I can't believe this. It's crazy. And so that was such a huge lesson for me early on was that I needed to focus on what I do best and let the others focus on what they do best and we can be mutual awe of each other. 
And Waleed and I are in mutual awe of each other, my partner. And it was so funny because up until finding Waleed, I did have managers who like stole from me and who got just, I mean, you name it. I had like every painful like experience in my life happen for me. And I finally, when I met Waleed, who's my, I met him through Moby years, years prior. And finally I was like thinking about getting, bringing a partner on. My first question to him was like, do you believe in karma? And he was like, Mickey, every time I have a bad thought, a bicycle run over my foot. <laughs> and I was like, are you the genie from Aladdin? You're hired. <laughs> it was amazing. It was a moment. And he's been such an incredible partner. And he really believes in karma. It's for real. And I was so, I'm so grateful to him to this day. So with Walid in place, it really freed up my time to focus on my next invention, which was also born out of necessity. So I was one of those people that I would like ride my bicycle from one restaurant to another on my period and forget to change my tampon or pad. And I would just be like, oh my God. It was like one of those like moments of like getting my period for the first time every single month. It was like, <laughs> what is happening? Am I dying? Like, this is insane. What's going on? And I just like would be that person like hugging walls all the time, doing like the karaoke. It would be like, a non-stop shit show, okay? <laughs> and so I finally was like, okay, what the fuck? Like, what is happening this, in this category? And I looked it up and discovered that there had only been three major innovations in the entire 20th century. Tampons, pads, and menstrual cups. And by the way, most were invented by men. And I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. Three innovations in the entire 20th century in a thing, in a category where women do every single month, no matter what? Like, this is nuts. So the story is, is that my twin sister and I were defending our three-legged race championship title at my family barbecue called Agrapalooza. Our last name's Agrawal, Agrawal. Dad's like, Agrapalooza. <laughs> and uh, my twin sister and I were defending our three-legged race championship title, and we were tied to each other. And in the middle of the race, tied to each other, my sister started her period. And like, literally like bled into my sock. And then like, we of course won because we're super competitive. And then like, went and like climbed and like ran up the stairs, still tied to each other, into the bathroom. And then she took her bathing suit bottoms out and started washing them out. And as she was washing out the blood from her bathing suit bottoms was when the idea hit. Wouldn't it be amazing to create a pair of underwear that never leaked, that never stained, that supported women every day of the month during super important times like the three-legged race. And I remember walking outside and talking to my older sister, Yuri, who's a head and neck surgeon, you know, Harvard, blah, 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 Asian parent dream person. And uh, it's like they have on the card, they have like the Harvard sticker and the Yale Medical School and like our Cornell sticker on the side because Cornell's like, you know, the JV of the Ivy Leagues. And they're like, Neh. it's like on the tire. Not that I'm bitter about it or anything, can you tell? So we asked her, we're like, Yuri, like why is it that every single one of your pairs of underwear have a stain in them? She's going to hate me right now, but it's true. It, they all do. And I was like, why? And she was like, because when you're literally operating on someone's face, you can't be like, yo, face, just stay open. I'll be right back. I'm going to change my tampon. Okay, cool. Like, you just can't do that. You can't. And then I just started thinking about the time, every time I played soccer, like at the highest level, I can't be like, yo, ref, can you just time out? I'm just going to change my tampon, BRB. Like... You just can't do that. You can't do that like stuck in traffic, about to make out with your boyfriend, like any situation. <laughs> like you can't just be like, time out. You know, it just doesn't work. And so you have to keep going. And what do we need? Well, we need an alternative to do that. And so 
We spent the next, my twin sister, myself, and our third co-founder spent the next three and a half, almost four years developing the sort of most technical underwear that looks and feels like a regular pair of underwear, but has built-in technology that makes them leak-proof and absorbent and antimicrobial and moisture-wicking. And you literally feel sexy. Like, the, my litmus test for sexiness is, like, the last couple of years at Burning Man, I would go and everyone's, like, in their most scantily clad, like, outfits, you know? People would be wearing their Thinks underwear, would come running up to me being like... <laughs> And I'm like, you look sexy, girlfriend. Mm, yeah, she's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, the, the fact that they're like, they're being worn as like their sexiest outfits. I'm like, all right, that's a, that's a score right there. So once we built this, one of the things that we realized was that we needed to really, in the very beginning of the business, we wanted to weave in a give back mission because we truly believe that the future of entrepreneurship is social entrepreneurship. It cannot be otherwise. Like I sit in the board of conscious capitalism and we also understand that conscious businesses outperform like the major indices by up to 14x. So actually, if you're thinking about every stakeholder, if every stakeholder wins, your business actually succeeds more. And so beyond that, for us, like I knew that if I'm going to get into the underwear business I know nothing about, I know that during the times that are the most painful, the hardest, the most like frustrating when you're dealing with like website issues or manufacturing issues or personnel issues or whatever issue, I get to close my eyes and really tap back in to the give back mission, like the why we're doing it. Yes, I want to support myself, but I also want to support those who really need these kinds of products. And so we started thinking about the Tom Shoes model. I talked about that for a second before, about the one for one model and the buy one, give one model. There's an inherent flaw with the model. I'm also one of those people who do not, who always like hates it when people are like, Ugh, can you believe they tried to do that model? And they totally like, fuck things up. And just like, no, 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 you have to start somewhere, learn and build and grow from it. People just love to write shitty, mean headlines and talk shit about people who are in the arena. And so I really commend Tom's. I really commend them for creating the starting point of what was something to be built upon. Does that make sense? Yeah. So... What we learned from the Tom's model is that if I, what's your name? Susan. So Susan is working in Uganda and she's selling shoes in the beating sun. She's a local Ugandan woman who's just selling, who's doing her best to make a living selling shoes in the beating sun. All of a sudden, an influx of free shoes arrive in your neighborhood. What happens to Susan's business? It struggles, right? Might go out of business, it might fail. And so actually when you're doing what you think you're doing, which is giving, when you think you're giving, what you're actually creating is a welfare model. It's actually not an empowerment model. And so rather than hurting Susan's business, I, we chose to give money to Susan to grow her business. And so what we did is we looked for one of the best menstrual pad creators in all of Africa and found this company called AfriPads based in Uganda and Kampala, and they make washable, reusable cloth pads at an affordable price, and they're a for-profit company. And they hire all local women, create lots of local jobs, and at the time when we met them, they had about 25 employees. And what we said to them was like, look, for every pair of underwear that we sell in America, we would love to fund your company, give you the money to basically create more pads, subs lower the cost of your pad at, for the end user, and create this empowerment model. And in a couple of short years, they went from 25 employees to over 200 employees. And it really, and it shifted so much for all the local women in the, in the area. So that empowerment model worked and we're so, so excited to keep seeing that through.
let's go to the second P. <laughs> so while we were building things, people kept reaching out to us saying, hey, can this be used for light bladder leakage? And we looked into it again and discovered that the urinary incontinence mark, the light bladder le leakage category, is a $7 billion category. And there have only been things like Depends and Poise and these diaper-like products where women feel, and men, feel so unsexy and un just, they just feel so not themselves. All of a sudden, you, you, you grow out of your diapers when you're like two, and then you're back in them when you're, you know, after you've had like pushed a gigantic baby out of your vagina. Like, that's not cool, right? And so we wanted to create a product that was beautiful, that was sexy, that made women feel iconic. And it was completely separate technology, but had similar a similar idea to things, period underwear, but it was really about absorbing urine faster. You know, the odor thing was an issue, making sure that it leaked, did not leak through at all. There was a lot of different considerations. The consistency of period blood to urine are very, very different. But the most important thing was you had to look and feel really, really amazing, like you're wearing just a regular pair of underwear. And so we spent the next couple of years really perfecting our P-proof underwear product called Icon. And one of the things that we also really, really cared about was we learned about the obstetric fistula problem that was starting to become a real problem throughout Africa and even in Asia. And does, do people know what obstetric fistula is? Okay, if not, here we go. Obstetric fistula is, and so when a woman gives birth, so my older sister, Yuri, when she gave birth to Emmy, a gigantic baby, she ripped a hole in her bladder canal. And so when you rip a hole in the bladder canal, in the first world, you just sew it back up and you're back in business in a couple of weeks, maybe, maybe in a month. In the developing world, if you push a baby out of your vagina and you rip a hole in your bladder canal, you end up literally peeing yourself for the rest of your life. And imagine waking up every morning, you just soaked your sheets, you soaked your mattresses, you soak everywhere you walk, you're peeing, you smell. And so these women who did nothing but give birth are sequestered to these fistula camps to die. Like they're, they're called the modern day lepers and they just gave birth. And so we couldn't believe when we learned about what, what this was and we reached out to the Fistula Foundation and said for every pair of icon underwear sold that supports women in the first world to have a little bit of, when you sneeze or cough or jog or jump, you pee a little bit and we support you here, we fund fistula operations. And today we've helped hundreds and hundreds of women get back into their lives and rejoin their families and their communities. And we're so excited about that. Ah, poop. <laughs> the final frontier. Guys, if you actually think about what we're doing right now, the way we wipe ourselves has not changed since the late 1800s. You think about like, I'm on this like microphone thing, we have like our iPhones, and we've got like Wi-Fi and technology, and then like the minute we jump into our bathrooms, poof, we're back into the 1800s. <laughs> Literally, that's what's happening. And it's crazy when you actually ask yourself like what you're doing. So like, so here's a couple of analogies. Like, would you imagine if you just jumped in your shower and didn't turn the water on and just used dry paper and you're like, yeah, 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 I'm clean, I'm good. Right? Like, people would be like, that person's a little woohoo, <laughs> you know? Or imagine if you went to your dirty dish sink and you're like, cut open a raw chicken salmonella all over it. Yeah. And basically, instead of using water to like wash your dish, you're using like dry toilet paper and you're like, yeah. And then you put your dish away. People would be like, never eating here again. That's not, you know? If a bird pooped on your head, 
would you take a piece of dry paper and smear the poop all over your head, or would you wash it off with water? It's like, I mean, indoctrination is so powerful. Indoctrination runs so deep, I mean, generationally deep, that we don't question so many things in our lives. And when we do question it, when you're like, wait a minute, like, why am I doing it this way when no wonder I have itchy butt 24-7, you know? And by the way, wet wipes cause anal fissures because when you're actually, like, using wet wipes over and over again, it strips away the natural oils from her behind, creating, like, like anal itching and anal fissures. I'm just letting you know <laughs> that just giving you the information and you can do what you want with it. Also, what's so crazy is, I don't know if you guys know that 15 million trees are getting flushed down the toilet every single year just for toilet paper consumption. 15 million trees. I mean, the Canadian boreal forest is being decimated and being flushed down the toilet. It's the Amazon of North America, and it's being cut down to do what? Something that doesn't even properly do its job. Doesn't even clean us properly. And yet, we're just doing it unconsciously because we've just been doing it forever. And so, it was something that was so important, half Japanese, half Indian, both cultures grew up with bidets. And we've always been shamed by our Asian parents. They're always like, what are you doing over there? <laughs> I thought we were first, third world. <laughs> and we're like, okay, okay. So we created Tushy with a tagline for people who poop. <laughs> because it's true, <laughs> that's what we all do. And what it is is simply a modern bidet that clips onto your existing toilet and turns any toilet into a bidet in 10 minutes. There's no plumbing, no electrical required. It's only $69, so like anybody can afford it. When you think about the Model T car and how it disrupted the horse and buggy category, it was because it was affordable to the mass. It was something that was cool looking. It was something that people felt like a aspirational thing was now part of their lives. It's a very similar experience. Like we wanted to create something that was beautiful, that looked aspirational. Like we have so many people who send us messages being like, I threw a tushy party and I want, I installed it. I want to have everyone come and look at my bathroom. And we're like, yes, this is amazing. And so that's, that's the kind of stuff that we've been kind of thinking about. Like what is it, how can we change culture? How can we shift culture in a way that makes it fun, that makes it uplifting? We're gonna get into that right now. So, but just to quickly go over how it works, because people are always like, how does Tushy work? You take the toilet seat off, you drop the Tushy on there, you put the toilet seat back on, you connect it to the clean water behind your toilet, it does not pull the water from your tank or your bowl, it's not dirty toilet water, and it just takes 10 minutes and you're done. So that's it, there you have it, you're welcome. That's all I gotta say. And for every Tushy bidet sold, we are helping fight the global sanitation crisis. I don't know if you guys know that right now, over three billion people don't have a safe place to go to the bathroom every single day. Almost a billion people are practicing open defecation, which is where they have to poop outside in the corner. And women, women especially, women and girls, are at risk of getting raped, at risk of getting pillaged, of getting hurt by just the local boys who just don't know any better. And so oftentimes women and girls do not drink enough water or fluids, do not eat enough food, they don't want to go during the day, in broad daylight, and they often, millions of women wait till nightfall, go in packs of women walking miles away just to relieve themselves. This is the reality of millions and millions of women today. It's fun and, and, and cute talking about periods, pee and poop, you know, in that way, but it's also the most serious, like life-changing daily struggles for millions of people around the world. 
And so what we've done is we partnered up with an organization called Samagra that build clean sanitation facilities. And rather than just putting up a sanitation, you know, like a toilet and then leaving, because a lot of early on, a lot of sanitation companies did that. They would just, or, or these nonprofits would come in, they would build these latrines and they would leave. And the communities who've been pooping outside their whole lives are like, what is this thing? They poop in there and then they all of a sudden become the cesspool of more infection. And so why we partner up with Samagra is because they're an amazing organization who learned from that. They can't just go and build something and leave. They have to go there and teach the community why they need it. Teach the community that, hey, guess what? In six months' time, if you use this, you'll see lots of changes. And, and, and in the meantime, between now and then, while you're skeptical, every time you use this bathroom, we'll give you a free bar of soap. We'll give you a couple of minutes on your phone. We'll give you this, that, and the other. People are like, oh, okay, I'll try it, I guess, just for those extra things. And then all of a sudden, the place smells, their community smells less. All of a sudden, their kids are getting less sick. All of a sudden, they're getting less sick. All of a sudden, their water is cleaner. All of a sudden, they feel better as a community. They feel more, oh, I can breathe without just breathing in stench all day long. And they realize in six months that this is really, really valuable. And so Samagra also teaches these people how to clean the toilets, hires some of the locals from each community to go and give them jobs to clean them properly. And then after six months, Samagra releases the training wheels and says, okay, families, now you understand the benefits of this thing. Each family have to pay $1.25 per family per month, per family per month. Most of these people make between $2 and $3 per day. So using a clean sanitation facility, $1.25 per family per month is totally doable to hire two people to keep the thing clean. It's again, you teach a man to fish, and then you leave and go to the next community, go to the next community, go to the next community. It's not a welfare model for life, it's an empowerment model, and that's why we chose to partner with them. We're so proud to be their partner. And to date, we've helped over 50,000 families gain access to clean sanitation. I'm very proud of that. I'm Vishen Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body, your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.